Hey, 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 listen up. We've got some cool announcements for you. Monday night, we're studying the book of Genesis. So if you're wondering what God was doing at the beginning of time, okay, come if we could just us. find our seats and bring it back to order,、Zoom. thank you. Tuesday, 12 to 2 p.m., devotional prayer on Zoom. Wednesday, noontime prayer, 12 to 2 p.m., on Zoom. Thursday, Bible study, we're doing 1 Peter, 7 p.m., on, yes, you guessed it, Zoom. Friday, I wish every day was Friday, we're bringing worship to Battery Park. Bring some food at 6 p.m. and worship will start at 6 30 p.m. Church is back, people! Face to face, mask to mask, Sunday at 11 a.m. No need for online registration, arrive no later than 10 45 a.m. and please look at the website for additional info. We've also already started our Rooted Bible series. Join us on the YouVersion Bible app. Read the Bible, interact, and discuss your experiences with each other. And now it's time for the testimony of the week. Hello, my name is Ranjit. I'm a project director, and the job is really a very stressful job. Every day when I come to work, there's always a lot of bad news coming to me. And at some point, you know, I really got very weary, even though God was showing up. But my, my spirit was really, you know, very weary. And one day I just sat down and I said, I'm weary. I closed the computer and I went home. But that weekend, the Lord really showed up. Miraculously, my nephew sent me a, a daily devotion. Out of the blue, we never exchanged such kinds of、uh, information, but he did that. And it was on tiredness. I also, on that Sunday, heard a sermon online, and it was also on weariness and how even the Lord Jesus had problems. And one particular issue that he addressed there was a multitude, a crowd, and you know, he needed to feed them, but there was nothing. That he could feed them with. and So he had a problem. So the Lord asked, What do we have? And it was、uh, the two bread and the five fish. And he took it, and the first thing he did was he gave thanks to his father. And then he took the bread and, and he broke it and he fed the whole multitude. The problem was solved. And that same Sunday, I、uh, attended the prayer, prayer meeting before service, and Pastor Bill. Was there and I, I, I just asked for prayer. And Pastor Bill saw a basket, and in the basket was two, two bread and five fishes. So that week I went, I went back to work, and this time I started to engage more with God and said, Thank you for all the problems that came my way. And、um, so every time a person brought bad news to my office, <laughs> first thing in my mind I said, Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God, for this problem. And、um, he always shows up, he's miraculous. And then I started also to thank God for my job because I, I, I struggled a lot with my job. I just didn't want to be there, I just wanted to retire. I guess everybody wants to you know, go away somewhere, not be with the problem. And then pretty soon, within a week or two, we had this major meeting of placing the system into operations. And God just showed up in that meeting. It went so, so smoothly. Right now, the project is almost 94% completed. And that itself is a great miracle. Even though I knew that it may happen well or it may not happen well, at that point, it, it didn't matter. It didn't matter whether things will go well or things didn't go well. All I had to do was thank God. This is the process He wants us to go through. And for me, it was more of Bringing everything to God, giving Him thanks. And I know that even next week I will still have problems, but God's peace is there with me and He's 
and I thank God for, for the problems. I will thank God for the problems and it will be all right. If you have a testimony, we'd love to hear it. Email us at info at lifecenternyc.com. Thank you for listening and have a wonderful Sunday. Good morning. <laughs> I forgot I was wearing this. It's become a part of me. Are we live? Okay. Amazing. Well, good morning, Life Center Church. So happy to be here with you and with those of you on Zoom and on YouTube. Um, so happy to have you with us today. So a couple things before I start with the offering message, the giving message. Um, if you haven't filled out a Connect card, but you would like to, um, Andre has those right now, and he's going to pass those out. So raise your hand, and he'll come to you. We have one over here. Awesome. So um, this is so funny, but I, I feel like I should just say it to get it out of the way. I'm shaking because I'm good on the mic on the stage. <laughs> I can sing for you, but speaking is just a little, little interesting. So um, they asked me to do the giving message today, and um, I'm actually really honored um, because I've been really inspired at what's come from these, you know, two-minute, five-minute things that my friends have been sharing. So Janelle, um, last week, did a did the giving message, and she reminded us of the importance of being mindful in our giving. And that hit me really, really hard, um, because it actually made me think of the areas in my life that I have on autopilot. Um, yeah, hmm. <laughs> um, things that I do out of habit because I should. Um, or because it's the right thing. So I grew up going to church in my entire life. Um, I was in every Sunday, every Wednesday. But the pursuit of my relationship with God didn't actually start until my late teens. And so I grew up with a list of do's and don'ts. And because of that, for a majority of my life, my giving has always been connected to a set of rules and things Christians do instead of out of a communion with the Father. So the Lord's been taking me on an interesting journey these past few months. I'm sure I'm the only one, right? Okay. <laughs> Thank you for that. So the word that I got from the Lord in March was to be still. And as the days go on, he's been unpacking what that looks like practically for me in my life. And so it looks different each, each day, and he's been teaching me about that more and more, but the word has now turned into be still and be present. And so I'm sitting in each area of my life that he highlights when he does because I know that that means he has something to say and something to teach me in that moment. And so what does this have to do with giving? Right. So at the beginning of quarantine, I was pretty freaked out and anxious about some financial stuff. I was like really worried <laughs> about some things going on in my life. I had conversations with Tammy, conversations with Colt and Jules, and we, I was in debt and trying to figure out a way out of this debt that I was in. And as interests were piling up, it just felt like I was never ever going to be able to get out of it, actually. Kind of felt like I was drowning. I was like, how am I going to be able to get to the goals that I have when I'm, I feel like I'm just under this big rock of debt? And so, so I went from living from a place of lack to living 
out of a place of abundance. And the way that that happened was I was still and I was, I was present. And I allowed the Lord, I invited the Lord in on the area of finances in my life. And I actually, instead of trying to make plans for executing getting out of debt this way or that way, or, I said, what is, what is it that you want me to do? So I'm now standing in front of you debt-free. And yeah, for real. <laughs> what I thought was going to take me months and months actually only take me, took me a couple months and it was because of strategies from heaven. Really, I am fully convinced it was strategies from heaven. So I went from living out of a place of lack into um, living in abundance. And I don't mean abundance in cash because <laughs> that was not the case. <laughs> um, because that's not determined by what comes after the dollar sign in your bank account. Abundance is a mindset. It's a fruit of what and who we're connected to because he gives us this day our daily bread. And there's no lack in that. So because I was still, I was able to hear some strategies from heaven. And now instead of worry, there's freedom in knowing that I'm connected to the source of life. And he gives me what I need on the daily. So in the process of being still and present, we are able to hear for today and what was appropriate for yesterday could have shifted today with purpose, because he has a plan. And now I have an opportunity moment by moment to honor God with my life, and that includes my tithes and offerings. And so do you, with whatever you have, whatever that looks like. Our giving is just another opportunity for us to connect and partner with the Father heart of God. So in this moment, I want us to be still and to be present. It's going to help us all out just a bit. So on Zoom and in the room, I want you guys to close your eyes just for a moment. And what does it look like for you right now to be present with God? To be aware that he is the fulfillment of everything that you need or want, could ever ask for or desire. Father God, right now in this moment, we're still before you. We're still before you, God. I ask, Father God, that you would come, that you would just reside with us in this place. God, what does it look like to give to you today? What are you asking of us today? I thank you, God, that you are all that we need, all that we could ask for. And in you, there is all that we desire and dreams fulfilled. And I know that for some of you in this moment, he gave you a picture of something other than money that he is asking of you today. And I know for some of you, he gave you you know, an amount to give today. Um, so we have um, our online giving. So you're going to text uh, LCNYC to 77977. You're going to text give. Um, and then if you would like to give in another way, it's like we have our envelopes in the back. Um, feel free to 
go get one of those after service and drop it in the bucket. But what does it look like to be still and be present with the Lord in your finances and in your life? That's my, that's my charge to you, my question to you. So I want to introduce, I have the honor and the privilege of introducing Pastor Bill today. So you can come on up. We're going to pray for you. Um, this man, it is such an honor to know him. And it's been two years, almost exactly, in two days it'll be two years that I've been in New York. And I could not have imagined doing New York without you and Tam, for real. You've been such a blessing, and so I just want to honor you in front of everybody. Thank you. Say I love you. So <laughs> everybody extend your hands. We're going to pray for, for Pastor Bill. Father God, I just thank you for Pastor Bill. I thank you, God, for what a father he is. I thank you that today we get to sit under his leadership and listen to your words come from his mouth like arrows and pierce our hearts, God. I ask that what he pours out today, you would fill him up to overflow, that he would feel refreshed. He would feel refreshed and renewed in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Wow, what a pleasure it is to be here, to see so many of you, many back out for the first time. So good to have to be with you. Uh, before we get started this morning, we're going to take care of a little family business. Um, many of you know, some don't know, but our beloved brother Sal Vincente, Juliana's husband, uh, was diagnosed with multiple heart blockages on Thursday after having some minor symptoms, um, and he was sent straight to the hospital. At this moment, he's undergoing triple bypass surgery on his heart, and uh, I just want to take this this time to pray for him. I'm going to ask my wife to come and join me, and if you can all join your, your hearts with us as we uh, just stand in the gap and pray for our brother. Heavenly Father, you know, yeah, let's all stand. Thank you, Thank you, Lord. And just you, lift your hands, extend your faith symbolically towards Sal uh, on that operating table right now. Heavenly Father, we lift up our brother before you, God. We, we know you have a plan and a purpose and a destiny over his life that you wrote all of his days in your book before there was yet one of them. God, we ask for mercy and grace to be extended towards Sal. Father, you finished the work on the cross. When Jesus went to the cross and shed his blood and took those stripes on his back, you paid a price that we would walk in a new covenant reality of health, prosperity in every area of our lives. So, God, we just send a word of healing to Sal. God, we ask you that, that by the stripes of Jesus, by the shed blood on the cross, that Sal is covered and that no plan of the enemy will prosper in the name of Jesus. And God, we ask you just to extend his life, extend his years, and extend his health, Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus. And we send a healing word to him. Yes, yes, yes. And, and we just declare the word. Even last night, the nurse that came to wash him 
to prepare him for the operation, she was a believer, and she somehow knew he was a pastor without even being told that. And she said, Pastor, Pastor, you have yet many years. You have much yes. to do. And then she charged him to pray for Juliana, even during the midst of this. So this morning, Jule and I were praying together from her car. It says, we prayed Psalm 91, verse 4. His massive arms are wrapped around you, Sal, protecting you, Sal. You can run under his covering of majesty and his hide. His arms of faithfulness are a shield keeping the Vincenti family from harm yes. in the name of Jesus. We just declare right now a good report in the name of Jesus. Every blockage opened or um, a new, you know, um, a, a new uh, bypass, a new <laughs> artery right in its place. In Jesus' name, we thank you, Father, that nothing is overlooked. We thank you for guiding this surgeon's hands as this is a long operation father no fatigue no mental fatigue we just thank you god that you are in the operating room with him it's going to be so smooth and the recovery very quick in yeah. jesus name thank you father for stamina thank you father for a rising up of faith yeah. in jesus name we speak to this mountain and we say be cast into the sea we thank you for the finished work of the cross for the blood of Jesus, which heals every one of our diseases. And we also remind you, Lord, and we give thanks, even as Ranja even shared about giving thanks. We give thanks that you've healed Sal before, even of Meniere's disease. So we thank you, God, that you do it again. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise God. You may be seated. Bless the Lord. You know, I know that Sal's going to be well. I know that, you know, God hears our prayers. And, uh, and he will strengthen us. And, and he provides all that we need. Uh, so we can rejoice in that. And, uh, we, and we do, do rejoice in it. Bless God. I wanted to... Um, continue along the message the cult preached last week. I said last week I thought it was one of the best messages on prayer I had ever heard. And uh, it, it was just awesome. And, uh, and it just inspired me. I actually went back and listened to it a second time. And uh, I feel like it was the word of the Lord for this season that we're in. The time. You know, it's important that we discern uh, times and seasons, and um, and that we partner with the heart of God. And uh, I want you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 18. I'm calling this message Partnering with the Heart of God. That's who he's called us to be. You know, when the scripture talks about the body of Christ being the bride of Christ, I mean, think about that. He's called us into this glorious wedding celebration that we're to be married to Christ. Um, it's not a sexual thing, so don't get confused in your mind. Um, it, it's a union with God. We are actually called into deep union with God, deep partnership with, with God. 
it's a it's a position of privilege. It's a position of honor, and uh, and God is causing is calling us to rise up to that place that we can partner with Him to see His will accomplished on the earth. You know, when the disciples asked Jesus, "Teach us how to pray," you know, even John the Baptist taught his disciples how to pray. They said, "Teach us how to pray," and he gave them. The prayer that we know as the Our Father. And, you know, it's Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. It's kind of a model. So you start out praying, acknowledging God as your Father. You hallow his name, worship him. You know, that's sort of the first part. It's not necessarily a rote prayer that you just pray the words. You know, and, and then it's thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. So that's, those are like, that's a, it's a model or some broad subtext in which we're to pray into deeper but, you know, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's where we're to enter into this partnership with God. That his will would be accomplished on earth as it is in heaven. Why is that necessary that we pray that? Why is it necessary that men enter into a context of saying, God, your will be done on earth? Why doesn't God just do it? You're sovereign. You do all things why don't you just do it? Like, why do I have to pray this? And the answer is because in the sovereignty of God, he's given the earth to men. And he does nothing in the earth except through, excuse me, through men. And so because he wants partnership, because he wants relationship, he wants us to enter into his plan to see his will accomplished on the earth. So as we mature, as we grow in him, we start to get beyond the God bless me and my four here and, you know, and that's good. No, we start to say, God, what's your heart for the, for the earth? What's your heart for this city? What's your heart for my community? You know, we start to ask him, what's your heart? I want to partner. God, what do you see? about people, and we start to partner. Now, where does this come from, this idea of, you know, God wanting us to partner? Turn with me to, to Genesis chapter 18. I'm going to start reading in verse 16. I'm reading from the New King James Version. Okay. Just to give you the context book of Genesis, the book of beginnings, you know, all doctrine has, uh, you know, it, there's a law of first mention in the Bible when you're studying theology that when, when things happen for the first time, God is sort of establishing a pattern. And uh, in the book of Genesis here, we see where Abraham is having a visitation from God. And and the Lord actually tells him about the promise of a son because Abraham and Sarah, Sarah were barren at that point and, and gives him a promise. But then as they're about to leave Abraham, it says the men arose, you know, it was, you know, the, the three, it, it's probably Jesus and maybe two angels with him or whatever, but it says... Then the men arose from there, and they looked toward Sodom. 
And Abraham went with them or walked with them to send them on their way. And the Lord said, and catch this, shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing? Since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring Abraham, may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. And the Lord said, so the Lord turns to Abraham and he tells him what he's about to do. It's very interesting. God has determined, he's heard a cry against Sodom and Gomorrah, and he's about to go and sort of look a little closer, and if what he's heard is true, we're going to read, he's going to take out Sodom and Gomorrah. So let's keep reading. Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grave, I will go down now and see whether... They have done altogether according to the outcry against it that has come to me. And if not, I'll know. Then the men turned away from there and went toward Sodom. But Abraham stood before the Lord. Abraham positioned himself before the Lord. In your, uh, on your Bibles, hit the highlight feature, highlight, underline that passage. He stood before the Lord. And Abraham came near and said, Would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? So he stands in front of God as he's about to go walking. He stands in his path before the Lord. And it says, Would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there were 50 righteous within the city. Would you also destroy the place and not spare it for 50 righteous? Far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked so that the righteous should be just as the wicked. Far be it from you. Where did Abraham get that from? That God should not slay the righteous with the wicked? How would Abraham, like, where, what is Abraham's basis of this knowledge? What is his base? Why would he, you know, he's making quite a statement. Far be it from you, the judge of all the earth. He knew the stories of creation. It was an oral history that was being passed down from generation to generation. And there was one other time when God was about to bring judgment on the earth, when men were wicked. And God looked, and it was only Noah in the book of Genesis that found grace in the sight of God. And Noah was spared, he and his family, when the whole earth was wiped out. Because Noah, it says, believed God. Noah, Noah was found righteous. Now, we know that no one is, is, is completely righteous, but Noah entered into a relational connection with God and received by faith what was there. So God spared Noah. And so Abraham 
understanding the history, even if it was an oral history, you know, said, far be it from you to do this. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? It's interesting. He called him the judge. He called him the judge of all the earth. You know, there is only one judge. He's the righteous one. You know, God, our Father in heaven, is the righteous judge. He tells us that we're not to enter into judgment because there's only one righteous judge, and it's not you or I. So we never to partner with the accuser. But God is inviting, but Abraham is starting to see something. And this is, there's a law of first mention, and I believe it's this place of intercession. I believe it's a place where God invites his friends to enter into. So he says, far be it from you to do such a thing, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous should not, uh, should be just as the wicked. Far be it from you, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? So the Lord said, okay, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. Then Abraham answered and said, indeed now, I who am but dust and ashes... Take it upon myself to speak to the Lord. He's humbly pushing the issue a little bit, but he's recognizing his place. Suppose there were five less than 50 righteous. Would you destroy all the city for lack of five? So he said, if I find the 45, if I find there 45, I will not destroy it. And he spoke to him yet again and said, suppose there should be 40 found there. So he said, I'll not destroy it for the sake of 40. And then he said, let not the Lord be angry, and let me speak one more time. Suppose 30 should be found there. So he said, I will not do it if I find 30 there. And he said, indeed now, I have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 should be there. So he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of 20. Then he said, let not the Lord be angry that I'm pushing this issue, and I'll speak but once more. Suppose 10 should be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of 10. So the Lord went his way. And as soon as he had finished speaking with Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. This is the first time, we, you know, I, I look back. Nowhere, Noah, it's not recorded ever, you know, Noah was given a charge, build the ark, I'm going to send a flood, I'm going to destroy the world. He didn't, Noah didn't enter into a place of intercession for the world. This is the first time at this place of, of standing before God and asking him to hold back wrath and judgment is mentioned. It's interesting, in James 2.23, it says, in the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God and was counted him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. Just a couple, I'm going to give you two cross-references. I'm not going to turn there. Second Chronicles 20, verse 7, and Isaiah 41, verse 8. There's three places where it mentioned that Abraham was a friend of God. I don't really see in Scripture where anyone else was accounted a friend. David was a man after God's own heart. There's other descriptions of <clears throat> great men of faith, but
But Abraham entered into a place of friendship with God. I find that very interesting. You know, we're all sons and daughters. God loves us. He can't love us anymore. And, you know, we all, we love our children. Your parents love you. You know, that doesn't change. But we don't all enter into an intimate place of friendship together where you can trust somebody with your secrets that you know they carry your heart. They walk they walk in a place that will, they, they want to bring out the best in you. God's looking for partnership with us in the earth. He, he is looking for us to partner with his heart and bring forth uh, a righteousness in the earth that, that happens because of our, our relational connection and our desire. Okay. Uh, turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 22, beginning at verse 26. I want to continue along this line. Ezekiel 22, beginning at verse 26. Just to set it up, uh, Israel has turned away from the Lord. They're serving idols. They're, they've actually been, they've gone into captivity. Um, and uh, there's a remnant still in the land of, uh, of, of, of Israel, but a lot of the, the princes, the priests, they've been all carried off to, to Babylon. And uh, so beginning of verse 26, it says, referring to Israel, her priests have violated my law and profaned my holy things. They have not distinguished between the holy and the unholy, nor have they made known the difference between the unclean and the clean. And they've hidden their eyes from my Sabbaths so that I am profaned among them. That's the priest. The priest is supposed to stand and minister to God on behalf of the people. Then it says, her princes in her midst are like wolves. Tearing the prey to shed blood to destroy people and to get dishonest gain. The princes are the leadership in the nation. Could be business leaders, could be governmental leaders, but they are basically those who, who, who have the places of influence in the nation. And it says they're like wolves tearing the prey, shedding blood, destroying people. Her prophets, who are the prophets? The prophets are those who hear from God and speak to the people. And what does it say about her prophets? Her prophets plastered them with untempered mortar, seeing false visions and divining lies, saying, thus says the Lord, when the Lord has not spoken. So this, and then finally, the people of the land. So we're talking about the priests, the princes, the prophets, and then the people of the land have used oppression They've committed robbery and mistreated the poor and the needy, and they wrongfully oppress the stranger. Okay. Ezekiel's telling us that Israel was in bad shape before God, right? This was a mess. The priests, those who are supposed to minister to God, the princes, the leadership of the nation, the prophets who are supposed to be God's oracles are speaking lies. And then the people, 
everyone else. Use oppression, commit robbery, and mistreat people. So what does it say? Verse 30. So I, this is the Lord, so I sought for a man. Highlight a man. This is very important. I sought for a man among them who would make a wall, who would stand in the gap. Where? In the gap before me. He would stand before me. Where did Abraham place himself when he interceded for Sodom? Where did, where did he place himself? Yeah, before the Lord. In other words, he stood in his way. In between God and what he was about to do. The gap before him, but he stood before the Lord. I sought for a man who would stand in the gap before me. Who would make a wall, okay, on behalf of the land. Who would stand in the gap on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it. But I found no one. Therefore, I poured out my indignation on them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath, and I have recompensed their deeds on their own heads, says the Lord God. It's funny that God was looking for someone to stand in the gap like Abraham did and say, God, have mercy. God, have mercy. Micah 6.8 says, <clears throat> I think I'm throwing you guys a few extra scriptures that I didn't uh, have before. But Micah 6.8 says, he has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To do justly, to love mercy. And to walk humbly with our God. We see things in the earth realm. And we know the wages of sin is death. And there's things happening. And God is looking for someone who will stand in the gap. Before him. And say God have mercy. God have mercy. This is taking our prayer to another level. This is the call on this house. That we would raise up a wall around the city of prayer where people are crying, God have mercy. God have mercy. God forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. God, in judgment, remember mercy. Turn with me to... Luke chapter 9. Again, I have to apologize. I didn't give everybody these scriptures, but as I was praying, God was quickening some <laughs> things to me. Luke chapter 9, beginning at verse 51. Now it came to pass when the time had come for him, Jesus, to be received up that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers before his face. And as they went, they entered a village 
of the Samaritans to prepare for him. Now, the Samaritans were a group of people who had intermarried with the Jewish people. And the Jewish people who were, you know, from the time of Ezra and Nehemiah, they, 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 were, they were commanded not to intermarry. So they were looked down upon by the Jewish people because of their intermarriage. And uh, now Jesus is going to Jerusalem to worship and to fulfill the call on his life, which is ultimately to, to be crucified. And so he, as he's going there, they went into a village of the Samaritans to prepare for him a place to stay, but the Samaritans didn't receive him. Why? Because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, that they weren't receiving Jesus, they were mad because he was going to Jerusalem, and they knew that, like, the Jewish people, like, he's... Jerusalem, why don't you just worship here and worship with us? And no, he had a call. He had to fulfill something. And so they were, they were mad about that. So they, so they said they didn't want to receive him. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just like Elijah did? And Jesus turned and he rebuked them. A rebuke is a strong correction. It's not like an admonishment. He rebuked them. And he said, you do not know what manner of spirit you are of. What were the disciples doing? They saw something that wasn't right. They weren't receiving Jesus. Jesus is the Messiah. He's the hope of the world. He, he is God. And they weren't receiving Jesus. They're indignant. Do you want us to call fire from heaven? And he's, he rebukes them. Do you even know what spirit you're of? What place were they entering into? They were agreeing with the voice of an accuser. <laughs> Look what they did. And they were entering into the place of Judgment. They wanted judgment. And Jesus rebukes them. Do you, don't, do you even understand what spirit you're operating under? You're agreeing with the accuser who's brought an accusation. Not all accusations are wrong, but we're not the judge. Sodom and Gomorrah, the cry was going up. It wasn't wrong, but Abraham stood before the Lord, and he said, Would you destroy the righteous with the wicked? Far be it from the Lord of all the earth to destroy the righteous and the wicked. What does Jesus say? You do not know what manner of spirit you are of. Like whatever is influencing you, this is not God. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. God is inviting us 
in this relational place will we enter into friendship with him to partner with his purposes. Will we get past the place of our own needs, desires, and wants and say, God, whatever, I want what you want. I'm willing to lay my life down to see your purposes accomplished in the earth. You know, if I'm inconvenienced, if I'm put out, if I suffer loss for anything, I count it as nothing that I may see your place and purposes in the earth. Turn with me to Isaiah 59. Beginning of verse 14, I'm going to read verses 14 to 17. This is a messianic prophetic scripture. Justice is turned back and righteousness stands afar off. For truth is fallen in the street and equity cannot enter. So truth fails and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey or the target of hunters. Then the Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no justice. And he saw that there was no man, and he wondered that there was no intercessor. Nobody standing in the gap. Therefore, his own arm brought forth salvation for him. And his own righteousness, it sustained him. For he put on righteousness as a breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance for clothing and he was clad with the zeal, with zeal as a cloak. Now this is speaking of Jesus. He kept looking for a man and there was none. And why was there? There was none righteous. No, not one. We were all born under this, this, this curse of sin. We were born as descendants of Adam who had fallen, and we had that same fallen nature. And even those who believed God and Noah, Abraham, we, were, we received the imputed righteousness of faith looking to Messiah. But this is, see, this is the whole reason God took on flesh. Like, does it ever want, like, you know, Paul says the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Like, why the heck would God leave heaven, the creator of the whole earth, and he's going to come as a man and allow himself to be crucified? That's nuts. Why doesn't he just wave his hand, speak a word, like, make everybody clean or wipe this group out, start up with a new group? Like, why did he do that? He's sovereign. He can do everything, anything, whatever he wants. Why would he have to do that? That's just, that makes no sense to the natural mind. He came because he committed the earth to men. And so only a man could bring forth redemption. But guess what? There was no man. I looked. There is no man. I wondered. There's no intercessor. There's none righteous, no, not one. So God himself took on flesh and came that he could stand fully man and fully God and, and be the only intercessor, the only way to restore 
us in, back into relationship with God. So Jesus is the, is the ultimate intercessor. Jesus has restored us. He stood in the gap. He took all that we were not, nailed it to the cross, all of our sin, all of our warped thinking, our minds, our actions, our deeds, past, present, future, and he nailed it, and he shed his blood on the cross, and he rose again and put his spirit in us. But now he's calling us to a deeper place. He's calling us to a deeper place. Turn with me to, to Luke 11. I'm giving you a lot of scripture. But I believe this is the word for the hour. Colt spoke about it last week on prayer. God's calling us to enter into a place of prayer. It's a place of relationship. It's a place of seeing through the eyes of God. It's a place of loving mercy, right? It, what does the Lord require us to do justly but to love mercy and to walk humbly? We have to walk with God Partner with his heart, not be concerned so much with our own needs. God's concerned about your needs, but he wants us to come up higher now. Like it's not me, me, me anymore. That me stuff is over. It's about dying to the flesh and saying, God, what's your heart for New York City? God, what's your heart for the earth? What's your heart for my neighbor? I want to stand in the gap and be one who calls forth the mercy of God. Luke 11, beginning of verse 1. Now it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place when he ceased that, <clears throat> that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. So he said, when you pray, say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And he said to them, now catch this, which of you shall have a friend? How many know God wants friends? Abraham was a friend. Which of you shall have a friend? Then go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, let me three loaves. It's midnight. For another friend of mine has come to me on a journey, and, you know, I had nothing to eat, and, you know, everything's closed around here. <laughs> so why don't you just open up your, your kitchen to us and, and feed us? <clears throat> and he will answer and say, go away. <laughs> We're all asleep. I shut the door. My children are in bed. What's wrong with you? Yeah. It's midnight. I mean, come on, guys. He's obviously not single living in New York, but... I cannot give you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give him because he's his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds. And him who knocks, it will be opened. Okay, I want to I I read that last part from the Amplified. Beginning of verse 9, Luke 11 at 9, it's, verse 9 says, So I say to you, ask and keep on asking, and it will be given to you. Seek and keep on seeking, and you will find. Knock 
and keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who keeps on asking persistently receives. He who keeps on seeking persistently finds. To him who keeps on knocking persistently, the door will be opened. Too often we pray, didn't see anything happen, get discouraged, and give up. We pray for healing. Someone doesn't get healed. We say, oh, I'm not doing that again. <laughs> and it's so disappointing. Get over your disappointment. Amen. Command your theology to line up with the word of God, not your experience. Amen. I will believe God before my experiences. God's word is the ultimate. It is supreme. If you, if you follow any of like the great people who have been used by God in healing, they'll tell you how many people they prayed for before anyone got healed. Todd White prayed for so many people before anyone got healed. Randy Clark prayed for all these people before. John Wimber said he was praying for all these people. And then one day, all of a sudden, healing started happening. What? He didn't give up. He didn't just say, oh, it didn't work for me. Or get discouraged. You know, we have to have a mindset of courage. You know, I prayed. I don't know how many times I prayed. Nobody gets healed, so I'm just going to, God. And then, and then we, we make our theology. God, if it's your will, stop. Pray the word of God. By his stripes, you are healed. We're entering into a new covenant promise. We have to be persistent in our faith and not allow discouragement of the enemy to stop us. You know, Daniel prayed you know, when he recognized that the time of Israel's captivity was coming to an end after 70 years, he read the prophetic word in Jeremiah that they would be in captivity for 70 years. It's coming to the end of 70 years, so Jeremiah starts praying for the return. And he's fasting and asking the Lord, but he's not hearing anything. And it says, after 21 days of fasting and, and, and praying, the angel comes and said what to him? I was actually dispatched on the very first day. But the accuser, the enemy, you know, stood and withstood me from coming to you. There is opposition. And so we have to press through persistently knowing, you know, listen, there's, there's battles being waged in heaven and we need to keep praying. Amen. You know, when Israel went to war against Ai in the Bible, it says, as long as Moses lifted up his hands in prayer... They, they were prevailing in the battle. And then guess what? Moses started to get tired, and he let his arms down. And what happened? AI started winning the battle. So jo Joshua and her, or Aaron and her, <coughs> they, they were like, whoa, lift his arms up. Did you, did you notice the difference? Wait a minute, let me check this out. Oh, no, keep him up, keep him up. And then they're like, well, we're getting hot, tired, holding them up. Get two big rocks and just put them here because the rocks won't get tired. <laughs> Rest his arms on the rocks. Amen. Why in the world was it necessary for Moses to keep praying and interceding 
for Israel to prevail? Why didn't God just do it? Why did they need persistent prayer? Because that's the way God ordained it. It's not for the potter to say, why did you make me this way? For the pot to say to the potter, why did you make We have to understand the way God's created the earth realm and the created order, and we have to operate within his parameters. If he said, I've given you the earth, and I won't intercede unless you come and invite me, I won't, you know, I won't, I'm not going to, he's waiting for us to say, come and have your way. One of our persistent prayers in this house is we're praying for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit on New York City, across the, the region, the nation, that there'd be a third great awakening, that there would be such a revival in the hearts of men. And we could say, well, we prayed that once, you know, now we're just waiting. No, it's a persistence in prayer. It's a persistence. We have to have an attitude that doesn't give up. God, pour out your spirit. God, come and have your way. God, intervene on behalf of men. We're not to give up. We're not to grow weary in well-doing for, you know, it, it says, if don't grow weary in well-doing for you will reap if you do what? If you faint not, if you don't draw back, stay with it. There's a persistence that's necessary in the heart of God. He's looking for it. I'm going to close with this. I'm not going to read the whole thing. Luke 18 is the story of the widow and the unjust judge. Maybe I will read it. <laughs> Beginning of verse 1. Then he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. Men ought always to pray and not lose heart. To not lose heart means to don't get discouraged, don't get weary, don't say, oh, forget it, it doesn't work. I tried it once, it didn't work. Ugh. No, pray always and don't lose heart. You know, I'm thinking of uh, the Braveheart movie when it's uh, the guy who would be the, the king of Scotland and his father is like betraying everybody and... And he says that, and he, and he, and he you know, and he, he's like so disappointed at what his father had just done betraying William Wallace. And, he, and the father says to him, all men lose heart. And he says, I don't want to be like other men that lose heart. I don't want to be like other men who lose heart. I want to be a man of courage and faith and step into it. Even if I have to die, I, I want to be a man of courage. Men ought always to pray and not lose heart, saying, there was, a certain, there was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him saying, get justice from me from my adversary. 
and he would not for a while, but afterwards he said within himself, though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me with her constant coming, I will avenge her, lest, her by, lest by her continual coming she, wear, she weary me. Then the Lord said, now hear what the unjust judge said, and shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him? Though he bears long with them, I tell you, he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? persistence, not letting go, tenacity, God equates with true faith. Will he find faith that you just, you're persistent, you're tenacious. No, I'm not letting this go. I got a bulldog like, you know, I've locked my jaw onto something and I'm not letting go. That's it. You know, this is it. Like Jacob wrestling with the angel said, I won't let you go till you bless me. Will we be tenacious? Will we stand in the gap and say, God, have your way. Your will be done in the earth and not give up. That's what the Lord is calling us to. There's a place of prayer. It's a place of intercession. I haven't even gotten to all the scriptures. There's more. And, uh, but this is the high calling of God. It is a high calling. It is when we're getting beyond ourselves and saying, God, I want to partner with your heart. It's not about me anymore. We're maturing past this where we're just children who just have needs. When a baby's first born, they can do nothing for themselves. You feed them. You change them. You clothe them. You do everything for them. As they start to mature. They're still very needy, but they, but they start to grow into maturity and become independent and there has to be a place where they're willing to partner with God. We've gotten past that. God's calling us to a place of maturity. At this point, we are going to be uh, on Zoom. I'm going to send you into your uh, breakout rooms. I want you to pray for one another. Pray into this message, what God is saying. He wants to bring forth right now in New York City a people who will stand in the gap, who will build up a wall of prayer that we may see God's purposes in the earth. Bless you out on Zoom. Love you guys. Amen. I love all of you here in this room. So glad that you're here. We're actually, why don't we all stand? The worship team is going to come up. You know, I thought that this was a great precursor to the fast that we're going to start on Yom Kippur. And, you know, that's like, it's not about us. It's not about me. You know, <laughs> it's all about Jesus. So this is all like, he's, it's not about us. So if we just look and say, okay, I want to partner with you. I want to I be the one that stops like Abraham did and, and just, you know, in the gap, but before the Lord, you know, for people and not about me. Okay. So that's the whole thing. That's why we chose Yom Kippur to, to start this fast and you'll be hearing more about it. Amen. 
Amen. We're going to be standing in the gap and just saying, God, your will be done here in our city, across our nation. It's an election year. You know, we don't want it. There's divisiveness in all the politics. We just, God, your will be done. Your will be done. And uh, let's trust him. And let's, let's speak peace over a nation that is, 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 is needs it. it. We need Jesus as the peacemaker. Thank you, Lord. So, bless God. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. We just say, come, Holy Spirit, have your way in our midst. Have your way 